2: Hello there, listeners, and welcome to the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny. I'm Johnny.
0: And I'm Callum.
2: And how is everyone doing this week? Um, it has been the first few weeks of January. Have you made it through? Did you make it through the dark, cold, windy nights?
0: Isn't today the day they're calling Blue Monday? This is well, of course, today,
2: most... the day that we're recording it is, but this won't be coming out for Not about until... two weeks. Yes, that's true. Right. <laughs> so it won't be. So
0: hopefully people have got past the bluest, kind of most uh, depressing part of the month and are ready to swing into nearing February.
2: Yes, absolutely. I hope everyone
0: is feeling good and looking forward to the spring ahead. Something that always makes me a little bit smiley at the start of these podcasts is that you're getting more and more... Into the habit of being like a smooth jazz <laughs> radio DJ. Like, hello there, welcome. Like, it, I think it's that's a kind bit of, more whispery I think, and a little bit more sexy every time you do it. I kind of think I kind of can fall into that sometimes anyway, when I'm with a microphone and um, doing this. Once the headphones are on and the microphone is in front of you, you just want to seduce it. This is the midnight radio hour with Johnny. And I'm hoping
2: you're all having
0: a great night. Well, I'm for. <laughs> no, I, I'm ready to give myself <laughs> over.
2: Oh, gosh. <laughs> Be careful um, what you The voice you wish is for. too strong. The voice is too strong. Like an aphrodisiac. Well, absolutely. Um, speaking of aphrodisiacs, well. I'm, I'm looking well, forward to this segue. <laughs> <laughs> We have an Instagram.
1: <laughs>
2: okay. Sorry for the self-indulgent laughing. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, we have an Instagram, which Callum, what is the Instagram?
0: <laughs> it's Untitled Film Podcast, one word. Uh, one of our New Year's resolutions is we're going to be a little bit more hot on our social media use. Um one thing is posting, when an episode comes out, it's posting the episodes come out from the main account and not just our individual account. So that's something, at least one thing we're going to try and do. And, then <laughs> and we also want to bring back the questions that we'll bring we had. Back the questions and quizzes. And maybe memes. and There might to, be some prizes later in the year. If we... Try to make it more of a fun place that people want to join.
2: And what other new form of social media have we added this week?
0: Myspace. No. Oh, sorry. Um, YouTube.
2: We have added YouTube, absolutely. So now, every time there is an episode, it will go on YouTube. Um, you can comment under it. You can like it. We would very appreciate liking. And you can share with your friends. Maybe you've got friends that don't use Spotify or iTunes and always scratching their head, how do I listen to podcasts? Obviously, it's on podcast that's, that's my mom. many other things as well.
0: Every time there's an episode out, she says, how, do I, how do I listen to it? And I have to send her like, a direct link, say, click here. When it asks you to subscribe, do this, do that. Just um, now to use YouTube. I th- yes, yes. Yay! YouTube is great.
2: So we've solved it. So um, a big part of why we've launched on YouTube, to be honest, is to try and get more listeners. Uh, not necessarily who listen on YouTube. It's to, I think it might be a good place to find new people who want to...
0: It's also a nice place where we can post like little videos, fun videos, yeah. introductory videos, Things like that. So keep your eyes peeled Absolutely. for more fun things to come.
2: I think we're going to do an introductory video. Maybe we'll do some shorts on there. Maybe, um, maybe the introductory video will be us in shorts. Who knows? We'll find that out soon when we actually get around to doing it. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so YouTube will be a place where there may be some additional content, but the majority of it will be posting each week's episodes. Mm-hmm. Um and thank you to the lovely people at ACAST. It looks very swish. I It does. Think. It's well, very swanky. I'm pleased with it. Um yeah, so that is a important piece of news, but I think that brings us nicely to Venues. the news. Right. And I've let you do that this week and that was a mistake. you didn't stop me. I didn't stop you. I was <laughs> I was trying to work out how to tie that. Like so going into aphrodisiac as well. Oh yeah, we did lose that. that.
0: We did forget about that. We were supposed to do that.
2: Well, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go first because I'm slightly because you keep stealing my pieces of news. So, <laughs> um, so my first piece of news is that there's a new trailer out. It won't be that new by the time you listen to this, but there is a new trailer out for Remington. Oh. Do you know well, what,
0: No, I, I can't, the I got, name sounds familiar but um Remington Steel?
2: No. It stars hang on, have I I've got the name wrong. I might have got the name wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it stars Nicolas Cage.
0: Oh, do you mean the vampire film? Yeah, I'm sorry it's called very Re- <laughs> it, No, it's it's the name of um his little help. you know, you know yeah. the gremlin it's not Remington it's um it begins with R. It's the name of a gun. I swear and Remington is this the one met. where he plays Dracula yeah yeah with Nicholas Holt
2: yeah Nicholas Holt's his little helper um, we're a slick <laughs> operation <laughs> I swear it is Remington I'm, I feel like you're making me doubt myself
0: just so there isn't dead space <laughs> this is uh, us looking something up online where are we uh, Tom? Renfield, Renfield, <laughs> like
2: the rifle. I knew his name, but I'm swear Remington's a gun as well. It, Maybe it I'm just is. thinking of Remington steel. Maybe, but yeah, Renfield. We got there eventually. Uh, great, great quality podcasting there. Just so yeah. before
0: this started, he said, "I don't really have any bits of news I really care about." And yeah, <laughs>
2: quite apparent, it really. Is it. <laughs> I really struggled to find news this week. I looked, and I was like, boring 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 oh yeah i watched that trailer last week so maybe that'll do um and yeah so it's stars nicholas cage and and nicholas holt nicholas to the, the two nicholas very confusing um one is dracula and the other one's the dracula's assistant who has some special powers and the trailer is to him at a self-help group yeah it does look very funny It has Aquafina in it as well. It does have Awkwafina in it, which is always a a draw. And I like Nick Cage and I like I feel like it's gonna be a plane movie. I've got a feeling I'm gonna end up watching on a plane. It
0: certainly feels like a a Sunday afternoon, little bit hungover sort of movie. Fun way to pass an hour and forty five minutes. Absolutely. So now that's my first
2: piece of news. We got there eventually with it. We did. How about you, Callum? What exciting news do you have?
0: Well, As we know, there is a reboot, no, sorry, not a reboot, a sequel series to the TV show Frasier, which we're both a big fan of. Guess who is joining the cast? Is it Cujo playing Eddie? It is Only Fools and Horses' Nicholas Lindhurst. Interesting. Apparently, they get like girlfriend they, of Daphne or something. I, I don't, girlfriend, I, boyfriend. I, I think he's going well, to play an old you know? uni pal of Fraser's. So he was at Oxford when when Fraser was in Oxford, and apparently right. they hit it off when they um, worked together on the London's West End, and they just became really good pals. So That's now uh, Nicholas Hindhurst is making his big time American debut, and it was really funny just to see articles like. Deadline, Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, with the headline of Nicholas Lindhurst to join Frasier. And it's so funny when <laughs> things like that happen, <laughs> when they get like the one British, niche British star breaks out 40 years or 50 years into a career.
2: I do remember a few years ago when um, when Kelsey Grammer came over to the UK to do this play and he was on some of the breakfast shows and things doing the rounds and everyone was just like fawning over how nice he was and how normal and kind of like... Just what a good guy, apparently, he is. He does
0: seem very down-to-earth in that way. He seems to like the fact that he's famous. It's not a burden to him like a lot of people, his celebrity level would be.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, he seems to uh, enjoy... He does seem to just have fun with some things like that. Um, uh, What's the plane film called? Uh, Money Plane. Money Plane. Ah, this is Money Plane. You can watch an alligator fuck a landmine on Money Plane. (laughs) Literally one day of filming all his scenes in one room, but just hamming it up. The
0: funniest scene is where he's clearly been instructed to flip over a table in anger, (laughs) but the table's too heavy, so he lifts it about two feet and drops it. (laughs) Money
2: plane. You can bet on a man fighting an elephant. Money Money plane. plane. Anyway...
0: (laughs) So that's the weird casting of the week. There does seem to be more and more of these coming now that uh, streaming is happening. It, it's no longer a case of where is you it going to be? In England. And you stay in America. I think it's going to be filmed in in America. No, I
2: realise that much. Where is it going to be on? Like, is it going to be oh, NBC? It's, uh, Paramount. Paramount. Interesting. I thought, I thought it might be NBC. Interesting. So on to my second piece of news. Um. So. I'm coming back to this. This is some news we've talked about previously on other episodes, but I'm just surprised at what's going on with it. Okay, hey. uh, Avatar 2 is now overtaking Spider-Man No Way Home at the box office, or is, is it about to?
0: I think it's just about to.
2: But <laughs> who who would have thought? A film that Never, seemed to have no buzz, ever, no one cared about. ever against James Cameron. I He's know, done
0: this three or four times now. But
2: it's like, no one cares, but... They do? I've literally had, had a... I don't know anyone... I know two people who've seen it. I know lots of people, lots of people that like to watch movies. I don't know anyone talking about it. I don't know anyone going, oh, yeah, I kind of want to see that. Like I've
0: got, more people have talked about seeing Empire like that. I know. Who is watching it? My friend at work went to see it, and he said he fell asleep. And he says he not, he's not sure for how long he fell asleep for, but because it's so long... I don't, he doesn't think he missed anything crucial. He woke up and there was still explaining the plot. So he thought, okay, I can catch up.
2: Uh, like one of our friends walked out of a screening of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
2: they really liked the first one.
0: They liked the first one. And they're the kind of person who, if they've gone to see a movie, they'll at least try to have the most yeah. fun they can. i they're can't not, imagine them paying like. No, not like, film no, nerds not like, like us. us
2: although I've never walked out of a movie, I've come close, the closest I've ever come out of, to walking out of Justice League.
0: I don't think I've ever walked out of so anything. It's boring and long. It is very boring and long. Not S- as long as uh, the, the, cut. the Zack Snyder Cut, <laughs> but at least the Zack Snyder Cut's coherent.
2: Well, yeah. The first one was just boring. Really boring. But no, that's where the question... Cl- uh, if I'm bored, is if I won't work, walk out of a film because it's bad, I won't walk out of a film because it's
0: annoyed me, I'll walk out of a film because I'm bored. Because at least that's a strong emotion. If you're bored, if you're angry or mm. if you, you... At least it made you. me feel something. At least it made you feel Justice something. Justice League made me feel nothing
2: but pity for... <laughs> and, and that pity was completely aimed at all of the cast involved and Warner Brothers for how much money they were pissing down the toilet with a piece of shite.
0: Yeah, several of the cast members. If they weren't already being abused by Joss Whedon, they were embarrassed to be there. Yeah. Like that poor lad, Ray Fisher... Who's had his career sort of stunted, cut off th- from the knees because he tried to speak out on the abuse he suffered from from Joss Whedon. I know. Well, I can't. I know. Turned out to be a really horrible person. I know. But he we've was gone on, on to... a bit of a tangent. We have here gone the a tangent. Avatar is making a load of money,
2: and I'm just. I'm slightly disappointed, I feel like... But then, I suppose the other argument is what else is out? Like, the things that are out... That Puss is in also boots, a big
0: part of it. Puss
2: in Boots, and Empire of Lights just coming out. But they, they've had that whole Christmas period to themselves with nothing, you know... Nothing no to films.
0: And it is... I assume it's PG? Oh, I don't know. It's either PG or 12. And so if it's you, a 12, it's a soft 12. So
2: families will go and see it effectively. So I suppose it's had that whole Christmas period. And as we said previously, it's not done that well in the States. It's done all right. It's done $500 million. Here's the
0: thing. It is holding on. It is really clinging. So its it's average drop has been around 35%, which is much lower than the average drop of a... Blockbuster film is fifty percent per week,
2: but that's because no Marvel has shot out or no. There's nothing you know, to nothing fight has against come out. it,
0: but still, I mean, but it is it's Fox, isn't it? It is. So, so it's Disney.
2: It is. So Disney are not going to put another tempole in its place, there's and no smart. one else really does tempoles anymore.
0: Well, that's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it could so it's had quite know, on. It could hold on to at least six hundred in it, America. There's no kind of films coming out through award
2: season, so it could like yeah, they could just out of there being nothing else. It has it's an interesting time actually releasing that I feel because I think it came out it came out quite early December but releasing n- no one really seems to release blockbusters in December anymore. But I always think if I've noticed recent trends if someone does break the mold and release one on say Christmas because quite often they do it on the 26th the of week December before or before Christmas. Either the week before, sometimes they do the 26th mm-hmm. and they do boxing day, don't they? Um and they actually always seem to do all right. And there's been a few times when there's films that people have completely written off and said this is gonna be a stinker. They're doing it in December because no one goes to watch movies in December, and then they make loads of money. That's the thing. So maybe they trick
0: go see things in December. It's just that they don't have a big splashy opening weekend because it's yeah. a whole holiday period. So you get families going on a random Tuesday or a random yeah. Wednesday because so they don't have massive weekends. Do. They, they don't have massive weekends, but, they but have, each day yep. is.
2: So, because that's it. No, no one's been like, "Oh my god, Avatar two has made sixty trillion pounds at the box office in one day." It hasn't been like that. It's been what was it like one hundred and seventy million opening weekend or something? One hundred
0: thirty.
2: Yeah, which is quite
0: low. Yeah, for a big movie like sound this, it, but
2: it is for this kind of size movie. Probably the most expensive movie ever made, bearing in mind its production cycle length. um and then, But it's just kept going. Like you say, it's just kept hold going. On, it did, hold on, hold on. Yeah, it did, what, maybe 200 in its first and week, the, and then it uh, did 140. The same 140, is true for Puss in Boots.
0: It actually grew this weekend, and it's been out for something like four weeks in the States. But it, it
2: has got really good word of mouth, Puss in Boots, which yeah. is very different to Avatar, which everyone I've seen who's seen it has been like, boring.
0: Yeah, boring, or at best, looks all right. But which then
2: begs the question, the third one. So are people going to see the second one because they're like, Oh, yeah, I kind of remember that 3D thing from like 12 years ago. It was quite cool, or 13 years ago, however long it was. Yeah, it was quite cool. Maybe I'll go see it. And then they've gone and watched this one and fallen asleep in it. And like, well, I'm not paying James Cameron £12 again for the third one.
0: The the thing is, is that this movie was supposed to pay for all of them, Mm. kind of. So this one had to be a hit in order to get three, four, and five Well, three's going. almost done. Three oh, was always going to happen. Oh, three. Okay, so, It it's four, four and, and five. five. I see.
2: Apparently they've shot quite a lot of four and five, but they haven't done any of the... Of the post-production, effect, which, which, is, which, which is 90% mainstream. of the cost, yeah.
0: So this is film just being a hit on. was crucial. So in a way, if the next film grosses half and scrapes a billion and some change, rather than close to two billion or over two billion, it kind of won't matter... Because anything from now is profit. So they're gonna keep pumping these it? out. I think so. I think
2: But is it? Because okay, yeah, now maybe this one is, you know, taking the the brunt of the initial costs and the you know, the new modelling and blah 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 blah. But then say they next round spend two hundred million dollars, three hundred million dollars on the marketing. That is true. They will have to spend
0: on the marketing and and then they have to give however much
2: money to the distributors, and then they have to do. So then actually, what they may end up, you know, out of that billion dollars is you know two, three hundred million dollars back. Two hundred three million, two or three hundred million dollars may not cover the costs of that movie,
0: and it may be a thing like I remember reading that the fifth or sixth Harry Potter film. In Hollywood math, actually didn't make a profit because that's when they had to raise all the prices to pay the kids who were getting bajillions of dollars. But the how much Harry Potter a Harry Potter like well, the brings and in the theme parks all and the... the time these films have, are adverts. they're not movies in themselves.
2: Although there is another twist to that <laughs> in that with Hollywood mathematics. Often that is because, okay, well, Daniel Radcliffe or J.K. Rowling might have been getting some back, probably almost certainly, were getting some back end on it. And the less they can make it look like the film's made, the less money they have to pay out to these oh, things yes. as well. Yes. So there's, there's another there, there's level a, of trickery. There's,
0: there's tendrils upon tendrils upon tendrils to this.
2: That's why if you've got a good agent, they get you percentage of gross, not percentage of net. Because yes. if you get percentage of net, you're fucked. Remember that, kids. Listen to
0: your old Uncle Johnny.
2: <laughs> anyway, I think we should move on because yes. we've talked about this for quite a while. What I, is your last piece of news? My last bit of
0: news is quite a fluffy one and it's one that pleases me. Um, recently, HBO Max cancelled Minx when it was like two-thirds of the way through yeah, production. Yeah, we were discussing this. It has been saved. Ooh, by whom? By stars, which I think is actually quite an appropriate home for a yeah. show like Minx. I think they'll give it the love and care that it deserves. It, because it's more of a grotty show than HBO's usual oeuvre, um, this is closer to something like Party Down in mm-hmm. its kind of nasty, kind of seedy world of pornography and stuff like that. And I think Stars likes that sort of grottier side of things.
2: The question is, are they going to get rights to the first season? They have, they have. So okay, they're good. Distribution because...
0: rights for both seasons and they're the work that needed to be finished on season two they're going to be paying that. Mm. that. Which is
2: good because obviously the, I, their hope, I assume, is that they'll get some new people to watch it because yes. obviously Star is cheaper than HBO as well so it might bring a new audience in. Um, and it would be an issue if the first season was in uh, HBO jail, yes. which a lot of stuff seems to be going into.
0: Yeah, most of these shows haven't been saved. I think this is one of the lucky ones. And I think it's only because... It was cancelled so very near the end mm. that people. It had it was real a real pity story. It was a real sob story. That it had a lot going on for it mm. in terms of the press. People were on its side.
2: And like you say, it kind of feels like the kind of show that if they can make it cheap enough, will work for stars. Because yeah. obviously, stars they don't have always the biggest budgets. But
0: yeah, so season three, if they make one, will probably be less flashy than seasons one and two. But it might work in its favour.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is this week's news, everybody. Um, so this week we are going to be talking about, as ever, two movies, one old, one new. This the, the link between them is that they are true crime. Yes, we, unlike the politicians of this world, are living up to one of our promises from our 2022 in review episode. If we say something, it's ironclad. It is ironclad. We are making our way through the list. Last week was horror. We said we were going to do a genre one. We did. Um and yeah and now we're doing this and then we've got some others coming up in the next few weeks as well but no spoilers. Um but yeah so Callum tell us about the first movie. What is its name? What's its vibe?
0: Well this first movie is quite an intriguing one. It's called The Hatchet Wielding Hitchhiker and it's about this young man his name is Kai or at least that's the name that he gives. And he becomes a meme, a sensation, when when he's hitchhiking, he gets into a very violent altercation with the man who is driving the car who nearly murders someone. And he saves the day by getting out his hatchet and whacking him over the head three times. But it's the way that he phrases it when the camera's on him, when the news... Um, articles and stuff come out about him. He has this very enigmatic, charming, charismatic uh, personality. And it's the way he says it smash, smash, smash. And he kind of looks like a cross between Zach Delaroche from Rage Against the Machine and Charles Manson. But as the story goes on, it starts to be one about exploitation. And are the people that want to make him famous based off this YouTube memeage that's gone viral, do they just want to get a bit of money for themselves? Are they exploiting a troubled young person who should be getting help and shouldn't be being put on television? And is that a snowball into something that's a lot more violent? And could go a really wrong if such a young man, who is both charismatic but potentially dangerous, actually goes adrift. And before I get into what I thought about the film, Johnny, what did you think about the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker? Very Netflix.
2: <laughs> it's very Netflix, and w- which I mean, all right, yeah. mid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Um, it felt very much like a Netflix true crime documentary um it had and i think the best way to describe it is it felt tv it wasn't cinematic at all uh in any way shape or form um it also it felt like it could be part of a series and be one hour long and not the one and a half hours it was they felt they were they were stretching at some points and they did not have a huge amount of footage from the guy <laughs> They had like two sets of interviews basically and they kept using the same bits of footage over and over again. The smash, smash, smash. And then they did another interview with him later on and they kept using footage from that again and that was, you know, about it. There wasn't really a huge amount else um, to it. Uh, it was entertaining. It was. It's the kind of thing, you know, it wasn't... You know, you, obviously, if you watch something like Jeffrey Darman it's just like pure horrendousness, horror. There, um, but you know, it's it's kind of like murder light. It you know, the the murder a kind of almost feels tacked onto the end of them talking about this guy for an hour, um, and then it's not the most worst, most brutal murder I've heard of. That sounds bad. Someone died. It's you know, all murders are bad. Don't murder people, obviously um but it didn't feel quite as like horrendous as some things do so it's kind of it it, it felt like yeah it felt like, like the whole th- the whole documentary felt like a uh, true crime light so you kind of were you know it's the kind of one you could watch while you were eating your dinner apart from maybe the last 30 minutes of it and stuff it didn't it's not too graphic it's not too crazy but it is it kind of so Long-term listeners will remember we talked about the um, Everest and um, uh, and well, the
0: Sherpa documentary,
2: not the Sherpa one. No, the Everest and the pool one about the earthquake. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, on that one, um, we, one of the complaints we had is it's not very cinematic. The talking heads are lazy. The kind of storyline's a bit. The way it's plopped together is a bit lazy. And that's just you know Netflix doing these things. When you go back to something like Making a Murderer, which was kind of almost groundbreaking when it came out and the way it's put together and things was really kind of like another level and the level of the interviews and the research and and stuff. It, you know, it's it's top level um true crime. But this was kind of it felt like someone always knocked it together in a weekend. They had some some found footage, they interviewed like two or three people involved in it, and then they just whacked it together and it it, it felt like it could be on, I don't know. Not bug. like
0: in a sort of um, a series where each episode is about some new someone new. Yeah, so and like, just um, and, and and
2: something that would be on Discovery in, Plus or in uh,
0: America. They have a show called Deadline, which does yeah yeah things like this one hour specials. But yeah, you're right. It is very fluffy. It's very weightless. Mm. Um, but there is a slightly more troubling aspect to it. The all the people that they interviewed, or most of the people. They all say that they're out for Kai's best interest and they're going to make him lots of money. None of them gave a shit about this guy. And it's just so funny that they interviewed these people and they're all looking to exploit this young man, regardless of how good or bad he is. They found a possibly mentally ill young person who needed help and their first thought was well, let's make some money out of this kid. And I kept waiting for the film to take a right turn and actually turn the camera on the people who, rather than trying to do anything for him, like when he starts pissing on the sidewalk or pissing outside of hotels. And this is a perfect opportunity for someone to say, no, we've we got to cut this. We can't try and make this kid famous. Let, inst- let's let's try and get him some food. Let's try and get him some help, Some something. And I kept waiting for the camera to actually turn on the people it's interviewing and going you are the problem and that would be a lot more interesting of a movie because part of the reason why he eventually does go kind of astray is because they exploit him up into the to the point where they that to the point where his quirks and weirdness actually is off-putting and then rather than trying to get any help for him they just drop him
2: yeah oh they're like oh this guy's too much and
0: He's then left adrift with a little bit of meme fame, which means that people are coming up to him and bothering him. But also, a potentially dangerous and a potentially dangerous uh, and mentally ill young man is being poked at. Like and, a bear,
2: and also he's still homeless, and now has fame and infamy, so probably gets more, ish, you know, more problems exactly. and more issues. No one actually solved any of his problems,
0: and at no point does the documentary try and look at this like mm. as a potential cause for the, as you said, the the murder. I is think I think fairly it's fairly tacked on.
2: I think it's very lightly kind of brushed over. Like, oh yeah, the media fame, maybe that's what kind of he. he yeah, they built a, him up to be this choking, hero. There's
0: some stroking chins. Going,
2: well, well, from hmm. the point of view of that, they built him up to be a hero, and his possible motive for, for doing, what, doing he did, what he did
0: might not be quite so altruistic.
2: Well, no, I think I think that's the whole point is that they were the, the reason he did what he did might have been because he thought he was. This is very skirting around the edges of trying not to give the ending away of the documentary. Not that I think it's going to be a watch from me probably, but um, but. Um, <clears throat> I think he, they were kind of, kind of saying that because they give him a bit of a hero complex, maybe the reason he did what he did to this person was because the, he thought something of this person in a negative light.
0: Yes. and But it wasn't really nearly enough. It was just so funny that they told this whole, whole story, which had seemed to have a story served up on a silver platter of a very interesting avenue to go down. Mm. And then they just don't. The only one, so I kind of
2: thought the first guy, the first guy that interviewed him, actually maybe did care about him as a person a modicum. I did think that he
0: he was certainly the nicest. He
2: seemed to still be in group. contact with him and chat with. him. He, he has just his didn't email like completely drop him. Yeah, email. yeah. Well, still even now, like he was at the start of it, he was ringing him from from the prison and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he says, oh,
0: "Look, that's kind now."
2: Of. Yeah, and stuff. So like he seems to have kept in contact. So maybe he hasn't completely thrown him under the bus. And I did kind of think that the Jimmy Kimmel guy regretted having put him on there and giving him a platform. But the the one who was like, wanted to put, who, who created the Kardashians. Kardashians was like, didn't <laughs> give a shit about him. And the first thought when he'd seen that she'd murdered someone was, oh my God, he was in my house. That could have
0: been me. <laughs> yeah. Not, oh, did I help you know, start uh, this I ball rolling? This? Yeah, it was, that could have been me. And it's a problem when it's so light because... It's served up as a sort of like, look at this man. He's going a bit off the rails. Let's make it into the fluffiest Netflix documentary that you've ever seen. Yeah. And it is surface-level entertaining, because he's entertaining. He, I mean, there is a reason why they tried to kind of uh, milk his 15 minutes of fame. Mm-hmm. There is something about him that is very charismatic uh, in a sort of almost, uh, you know, sort of old-school hippie sort of way. I still... So one of the things they were, like,
2: when he when the murder had happened, everyone was like, oh, yeah, he was kind of violent when he rat-mashed that guy's head with a ratchet three times in a row. And that's not... And then he was talking about, like, beating some guy up because this guy was attacking a woman. Obviously, fine, beat a guy up, he's attacking a woman, or to, to stop the attack. But then he was, like, the way he was showing it off, and, and they were kind of like, musing about it afterwards and one of my first thoughts or when they were filming him, it was like this guy just seems unhinged he doesn't seem like like there's more to what is going on here um yeah it, it was just a I, I mean i could have from day one said mm, this guy maybe maybe although he's comes across as nice has got a couple of screws loose um yeah absolutely yeah which is a bigger mental health ish you know a bigger mental health thing and Again, something else they could have explored in this documentary oh, is how many people are on the streets because of mental health issues that they've slipped through the net.
0: Oh, absolutely! It could have gone into a whole, a whole different avenue. It didn't. <laughs> there, there are tiny moments where it says something like, "Oh, he steal a bag of shopping and then give it to someone, uh, someone else who is on the street." It's like, okay, that's it, Interesting. Let's Robin see, Hood. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's see that area. And then again, they just they bring it up only to not pay it off. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that. It's a lot of bringing things up. He's a good musician. I
2: saw him play guitar one time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it was just, it is a bit weird. And then that kind of then leans onto the whole thing, the whole documentary being, hang on, this is, it's not asking any questions, it's not thinking about stuff, it is just voyeuristic to the extreme. Which very contrasts with the movie we're going to talk about in a bit actually, which has some faults. But, Is trying to ask questions, at least. Yes, Um, oh, absolutely. uh, And trying to do it in a way which lets the subject matter tell it. Whereas this has nothing, zero of him in it, actually. Like, the the guy of Kai, they don't go and interview him in prison, do they, or anything? No, no, they don't. They don't follow it up. There's no follow-up. It's just people that are involved in basically profiting from his fame, who are probably getting a paycheck for this as well, so they're continuing to profit from his fame. Interceded with some bad TV footage and at one point some CCTV footage. And then a couple of interviews of a couple of other people, like a cop and a neighbour of a the murdered person. And
0: there was even some areas where they went into his family life and they interviewed his his mother and think, oh, okay, this is interesting. And they contrast it with Kai's own telling of mm. his childhood. And was it traumatic? Was it not? But again, it is. It doesn't really go much into. It skips over the surface. It it just shows you the two contrasting stories and doesn't really. I think the problem is there isn't a huge
2: amount of. um, uh, There's not a huge amount to say. I suppose like there was. It was a guy who became a little bit internet famous for a while, and then three months later, he murdered someone yes not to spoil the ending but i think it's pretty obvious what happened if you watch the trailer of the thing um and and he and he's you know homeless and clearly has mental health issues and if you're not going to go down the the mental health issues such homeless direction and you're not going to go there's probably not much else depth to have to this it's not if you you don't go
0: down the homeless avenue or the um exploitation or the mental health avenue then you're just left with a a nothing film, yeah.
2: just a, a collection of footage and talking heads that kind of don't really say much or do much. It just they just told you what happened. They didn't go into any depth or any complexity to it. it just told you what happened. Yeah,
0: film. That's all it is.
2: It's not like something like so. You, I don't know if you watch "Don't Fuck with Cats," but that's incredibly suspenseful, and the talking heads are really engaging. Or um. Yeah, and you know, and it didn't feel like it was filling time at all. This felt like it was stretched an hour and a half. I felt. Oh yeah. But it couldn't have. Been, it could have. It could have been three episodes long. It could have been episode one. You know, basically what this was just then can cut into an hour. Then episode two could have been exploring. You know, this did did fame cause this, and then episode three could have been, You know, there, there was there was room to expand on this story. It just didn't really do it.
0: And I wonder if it was just for lack of the subject matter or lack of caring. They Mm. just thought, well, we have a fun, goofy subject matter. Let's just run with that. Or was it a case of, well, we can't get access to this guy. He doesn't want to talk to us. So let's just skirt around him.
2: Or more likely, uh, we just need to fill 90 minutes. We've got a contract for Netflix. They're paying us $400,000. This will do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There is the very name, much that
0: sense, that shrugging sense. Even the poster is just a yeah. picture of his face with a Netflix logo on. And I kind
2: of get the vibe that, you know, it's the kind of thing where um, the the, ty- the name of the, the thing is doing a lot of the heavy lifting.
0: Oh, and there's a reason why he was a flash in the pan meme, yeah. because he is a hitchhiker wielding a hatchet, mm. and he's a bit weird with it, with yeah. the way he, he speaks. Yeah, absolutely. Very
2: thin. Yeah, very thin. I think that's the, the, the
0: takeaway <laughs> from this. Thin on
2: the ground. Not the greatest piece of art ever.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
2: And on that note, here's a word from our sponsors. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the thing that they were talking about and will purchase it from them. I'll definitely buy it. Me too. Anyway, what is our second film we're going to be talking about, Callum?
0: The second film is Capturing the Friedmans." from, I believe it came out 2003. It's 2003,
2: yeah. It's uh, by Andrew...
0: Generic. Gimerick? Gem- it is a name like that, and I don't <laughs> have it in front of me.
2: If anyone can tell from these podcasts, I'm not great with names. Um, anyway, Gimerick. Gen- anyway, I should know it because... Uh, Robert Durst says it a lot. He was the creator of the critically acclaimed acclaimed series, Jinx.
0: It's um, Andrew Jarecki.
2: Jarecki, that's it. Um, the Jinx. And The Jinx is, a, is probably, I would say, the best true crime series of the last 10
0: years. Would you agree? Yes, I would certainly agree. It's excellent. Um,
2: so he is, I'm being filmed right now, hello. (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, it it, it is, um, uh, so he's got, you know, this was his first kind of film like this. He also was heavily involved with Catfish, the
0: series. Yes, I think as a producer, he had a lot of involvement there.
2: He was indeed. And he also directed the film about Robert Durst, starring... Um, Ryan Gosling. Guy Gosling, randomly. But yeah, so he he is um, well-versed in the world of kind of true crime and reality TV slash one movie. Um, but this was his, I would say, kind of first big true crime documentary series. Uh, and it is about a family, the Freedmans. Um, and it is told predominantly with a ton of found footage, um, that the, the members of the family recorded while what happened to them was happening to them. And what happened to them? Well, the father of the family, um, was found by the post office and the police initially, um, that he was posting out pornography, but child pornography. Um, and, very quickly, obviously, as the police should do in a, such a situation, the police came and inspected his house. and in inspecting his house, they found quite a lot more child pornography, but also they realized that this guy had been having kids around to his house to um, kids around to his house to um, have computer classes. So when they start to interview the kids who had the computer classes, they realized that there's
0: more to this story. And what did you think, Callum? Well, I thought for the uh, most part, and I say for the most part because it, it, there are some flaws here and there. Um, for the most part, this was excellent. Uh, it's it, it's a film which tries very much to be impartial as it can, although the filmmaker Jarecki does take a stance later on and after the film is made, he comes down firmly on one side. But while making this film, he's very much... of uh, of the case of presenting the facts as he sees them, uh, laying out the contradictions, and also going into the reasons that um, things might not be as simple as they seem on the surface. So obviously the father, it's pretty, you know, um, clear-cut. He has child pornography in his house. He's been ordering it back and forth. But the question becomes what exactly happened to these children and how many of the family members were involved because along with the father, one of the sons gets accused and there is doubt starting to be cast over whether the son is involved or to the extent that the children that were brought back for these computer classes, was it a mass thing? Was it a few children? Or was it a case of police badgering as happened quite frequently in the 1980s and late 70s and this is in the 1980s
2: late 80s 80s. it's not hot,
0: hot it's pretty hot off the heels of something like the satanic panic it's pretty hot off the heels of several cases of uh police going you were abused weren't you weren't you weren't you and children saying just saying anything to get this scary man to go away but it could also be that either just the father or the father and the son, did assault and sexually assault children. And there's also a great thing about this film is that due to the uh, home movie footage, it has a sort of earthy feeling. Even the professionally filmed interviews, because, uh, and, you know, I think it's because I watched this pretty much the next day after the uh, Hitchhiker film, which was shot very clinically very, it had an f- almost steely look because it's shot on these kind of very slick but very soulless digital cameras. And it was just nice to see something shot on film interspersed with, with uh, home movie footage. It, I, I liked that sort of, there was an earthiness to it. that there, there seemed to be kind of real dirt under its fingernails, not just in the filming, but also in the subject matter, it being as horrendous as it was. And the fact that the film at least tries to, to ask questions, to probe, to ask, you know, did this happen? Did it happen to the extent that it's been said? Is it a case of, you know, as happened quite frequently at this time, of children being just harangued into giving an answer for the quickest conviction possible? And I like that it asked as many questions as possible. Did, did you feel the same?
2: Yeah, so the title of the, uh, the, the, the kind of tagline for the film is, um, I think, who do you believe or who's, you know, which, which side of the truth do you fall on? And I think with the stuff with the father, um, is pretty slam dunk within reason. Um, you know, how is there a level of tall tales and things like that on there, on, you know, on top of it? But I think there you know, there's enough to put that guy away for life effectively but where there is questions to be asked and on two levels and again the documentary does it um you know it's only an hour and 20 odd minutes it doesn't go massively into depth with them and as with a lot of these things um there are still when you look at it afterwards there are still bits of holes and maybe bits of evidence that weren't put in to suit narratives etc but um it's the youngest son that's that's the one that has been kind of uh, in, in, indicated that he was involved with the father, um, and he was at the time, you know, very young, uh, and 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 was he a victim of his father? And how much did you know his father bring into it is one of the questions that it asks. Cause I think it does a good job of asking that and. um you know, and he's he the sympathetic character? And obviously a lot of it is him filmed, but and he's quite an odd character as well. Um, and it's kind of trying to work out what you think of him, how much of him is knowingly a bad person, how much of him is is, is his father, how much of... Yeah, and, that, and that's quite an interesting question. And I also um, think that the other question that you rightly say that it asks is about how much coercion was there from the police, with the police saying, leading the kids down an alley. And in, in that case, how many of the things were real and how many weren't real. And some of it sounds like it may have been made up or exaggerated. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, it it's an interesting one. Um, I do think there's probably some holes in it. And I think maybe um, it maybe tells the story too much from the side of the family. Um, but I also think, um, uh, I also think it's a very well-made documentary. I think it's engaging. I think it tells the story well, and I think it is good that it asks questions.
0: It certainly does ask questions. And yeah, I think there could be something said for maybe a little bit too much of a focus on the family, um, because it started to push loyalties, and which is always a dangerous aspect in, mm. in documentaries, because regardless of how guilty or not the father or the son or both are, it doesn't paint them as sympathetic people, um, because the way that they speak to the, the wife and the mother... The mother, yeah, it's is not nice. horrible, and so it's a little bit dangerous. They come across as a bit misogynistic. Oh, they are, absolutely, and... But that has nothing necessarily to do with what happened. But when you start to get all of this footage of them yelling at this poor woman who's done nothing wrong, it does make you feel like. Uh, luckily, I was sort of aware of myself enough to go, okay, come, don't, don't, uh, you know, paint your picture based on that. But I could understand someone going to the cinema when this came out in two thousand three and thinking, I hope these fuckers rot in jail based solely on how that picture was painted from the uh, side of things with the family. Although a little bit of that does go a long way, it does give you an idea of their home life Mm -hmm. and it makes them into real people. It might just be a slight tipping point that tipped a little bit too far in one direction.
2: I do wonder a bit with the two older brothers, were they just... Obviously the the youngest brother knew what was going on because he was involved... Um, but the the two older brothers I think maybe didn't know what was going on I give them the benefit of the doubt and were just shocked and maybe there was a level of lashing out at it and that they couldn't believe it um, and maybe they were shocked that their mum could but I think the mum had some suspicions and I think there yes. there's some things she said about you know when they had therapy and things in the past that, that were in there and I also think she felt ostracized almost from the family slightly in the the those the three boys and the dad all were kind of seemed to be thick as thieves and she seemed to they be They had their own team. Yeah, and she seemed to have been kind of pushed out of that team over time, and maybe um you know, she she wasn't um you know, maybe the their kind of living in one house had come to a logical conclusion yes uh, even previous so. to the, the things that have been found out being found out but now they were they were pretty horrible to and I did, yeah i didn't really think. i personally didn't think any of them came across particularly sympathetic or, or nice but it was all told from their
0: point of view well quite and um, it is told through found footage so you do have to lean on that somewhat. Yeah. i also think it's interesting how it goes into a guilty you know um admission of guilt is not necessarily admission of guilt um so in the uh, case of the father he knows that if he does certain things it could help his son mm. and it's not necessarily that he's admitting to guilt based on what happened it's more out of preservation for his his family and the, of course the son then has to do something similar and it just shows you how, you know, it says justice is blind, but justice is not blind. It has so many biases towards areas because once you admit to guilt, regardless of how softened of a sentence it may give you or mm. may give someone else, as far as people are concerned, you are guilty. And it, I think just by presenting that and presenting it from the point of view of the lawyers and the um, one, the son who said, I didn't want to say this. I was just told that if I said it, it'd be more sympathetic. And then, from the point of view of the lawyer, and he was crying, and he said, "You know, I got to say this." You know, and it's just interesting that they all have this image of how the uh, justice system works. And mm. I think there's an interesting aspect without necessarily having to go too deep into it. It, it painted the picture um, enough to kind of paint a little side of this justice system and how it courts the free, freedmen, as it were.
2: Yeah, I agree. Um and it is interesting actually. I think that's one of the things that the jinx expands on more and how did this guy get away with this? And is it because some of it is because he's rich and some of it is that and some of it is da da da. And um and, and I think I think he probably learned a lot from the, the Freemans. At the end of the day, they probably did it and he didn't nail them for it. And I think he was I'm I'm gonna nail Fred Durst. Mm-hmm. Um Fred Durst? uh robert durst <laughs> i mean he going must by, really hate limp biscuit i mean i do hate limp biscuit but <laughs> um, but robert durst um and obviously he did um uh, and yeah it, it, you know and i think maybe he learned from this documentary a bit and maybe and i think having seen some interviews and things afterwards i think he knows that maybe he was too sympathetic and yes he knows that it was a bit one-sided at times. But, no, overall, really compelling, really nice length, um, really interesting documentary, and I highly recommend watching it. Yes, me too. It,
0: it was um, about 15 minutes longer than the Hitchhiker film, but it didn't feel no. that way. If anything, it felt the opposite. Absolutely.
2: So, Callum, first off, a little sum up and ratings out of five
0: for the Hitchhiker out of film. Five. Do you mean out of ten? Ten. <laughs> uh, for the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker, it's frothy and surface-level entertaining. And there is something to be said about him as a charismatic figure, even though they don't have much footage of him. But for the troubling aspect of it, then I I felt concerned about the way it was going down and that, that it had more interesting ways of telling the story and then just didn't. And I think that that's a greater sin than just telling a frothy, documentary about a frothy subject in a frothy way this wasn't necessarily a frothy subject and for that it, it really pulled the film down to a four out of ten because the surface level entertainment was only just enough to get over just how clinical and steely and actually quite concerning some of the aspects were
2: okay yeah i i see that as well i i do think i think if you just look at it from a surface level um you know I think it it it's just it 's watchable it 's background fodder um I do think it should have gone into those other things in more detail, and i don 't think some of the people they spoke to were the you know the sort of the earth should we say <laughs> um that 's for sure yeah um but i also don 't particularly find him a particularly sympathetic character within reason other than the fact that he was homeless i actually don 't think. I don't know, he had a nasty streak in him. And I, I felt like I could tell it from the first moment he was on the screen. He was talking about, like, with glee, whacking someone around the head. I to, mean,
0: I came out of dark town.
2: Yeah, I'm not necessarily <laughs> convinced that I... If I'd met that person in a pub, I, that I'd have found them annoying. Um, so, I, um, yeah, I don't think he's also sort of the earth. So I don't know how much of a pass I'd give him. So I think from an entertainment point of view, I'd give it a scrape five. But, yeah, I'm not particularly sold on it, and I'm not particularly... I don't think it's, you know... I think it is, you know, it's not that different to watching reality TV shows, where which effectively it is where you're, um, you know... <laughs> I don't think reality TV shows are necessarily great for the people that are on them's mental health and things as well. <laughs> um, it's just, yeah, it's just not great, but it's, it's, it's a watchable hour and 20 minutes, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Capturing the Friedmans. Uh, this is very beguiling, and it caught me from the kind of first seconds that that it played, I I was hooked. Um, So it was both entertaining and it was interesting. And it's not without flaws. There are some aspects that, you know, however many years on, almost 20 years on, um, I think both the filmmaker and audiences would wish that they would went into certain areas more or didn't take such an impartial look. Uh, But, you know, despite those things, it's a fascinating look at the justice system, at coercion, at um, family loyalties, and it's just a very fascinating documentary. Minor niggles aside, so I think an 8 out of 10 is what I'd give it.
2: Yeah, I think I'm feeling on the same, actually. I think it's it's engrossing, it's well put together, it's a good length. I think, you know, it, it does show some of the bad sides of them and some of the good sides of them. It does give... The law enforcement a bit of a chance to speak. It does give some of, not probably enough of, but some of the um, victims a chance to speak. Um, so, although it has got flaws, uh, I think it's well worth watching, and I would give it an eight out of ten too. So, uh, four so and a half. Pretty for, in agreement here. Yeah, hitchhiker and uh, and uh, eight out of ten for the Freedmans. So, that is probably one not to watch and one to watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you very much, guys, again for listening and have a wonderful week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.